You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. When I look at the White Sox right now, as I prepare for baseball and spring training, I only go to two, maybe three things that interest me. One is how fans are gearing up for the season. And I think it's getting a little weird. And I, I've had people say, you know, you're being a little negative, And I'm not trying to be negative. I, I actually, again, think the team has an excellent shot to do something this year. They could have made that that opportunity a lot clearer. They could have given themselves a better percentage chance of going deeper into the playoffs if they would have had a better offseason. They didn't have a good offseason. But we're going to have a guest on today that's going to give us the pulse of the fans. Along with that, I keep gravitating to prospects right now. I know I'll get to the WBC at some point. I know I'll be interested in spring training and them all being in the best shape of their life. But right now I keep looking at prospect lists and fantasy baseball, my friend. Yeah, well, and that's what we, where we are. The offseason is done. There's there's really nothing left to look forward to. I know that I, I saw some random smatterings about trades, you know, that, that didn't make any darn sense the other night, but... Didn't make any darn sense. You saw one tweet that three people retweeted that they were just throwing around. By the time I found what you were talking about, and I'm not going to even say what ridiculous trade Ed was asking. It was, it was so ridiculous, and that's why I wanted to see, because you follow more people than I do on Twitter, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. This would be stupid. You're so starved for something to happen at this point. You're reaching at straws from from things worse than the food accounts at this point. And that's the problem. Like, this is it. I mean, you're in this little period of time now where unless something really weird happens or a big trade happens, this is probably what you're bringing into the season. So you can kind of you kind of wander into prospect list and fantasy baseball. Yeah, and getting ready, getting ready to see what you're going to do on your fantasy team, and making those trades. That's where the big trades are going to happen. Is still like, uh, you know, if you if you got if you got a dynasty league where you're holding on to some keepers, maybe you can still make a trade before your draft. Or yeah, you're looking at the prospects and you're going, well, who is going to show up to spring training and fight, and who's going to show up and and make a splash, and who's going to be this year's spring darling that we all sit there and go, wow, you know, we should really give them a shot in the regular season, whether or not they're ready. Historically, that's the fun part of spring training anyway, right, is is the the hope springs eternal and what's what's the future look like for the White Sox? What is what is this team got that who am I going to be cheering on in a couple of years and, you know, who who's going to surprise me and what can I do to what do I have to look forward to? Because watching Lance Lynn go out and work on his changeup doesn't really, you know, it's not exciting. <laughs> I mean, he's just going to give up a bunch of hits. And then come off the mound, and you're going to see him walk into the backfield with Giolito or something like that, in a in a tank top, and you're going to be like, all right, they're going to go, you know, have a couple of drinks and a sandwich, and- right? And get and continue to be in the best shape of their lives. This episode of Socks in the Basement is brought to you by Cork and Carry at the Park, a tradition in the shadow of the ballpark at 33rd in Princeton with an award-winning menu of burgers and ballpark favorites, an extensive bar with a rotation of craft beers, familiar favorites, spirits, and wines. Cork and Carry at the Park is having a halftime buffet, KC Barbecue versus Philly Cheesesteaks. I'd be there on Sunday. Uh, I believe the Beverly location is doing a $40 super drink package from 5 p.m. until the end 
of the game. Uh, check out both locations and make sure you bring in the whole family uh, to 33rd and Princeton at Cork and Carey at the park, the official home of socks in the basement. Uh, fantasy baseball wise, I found two very interesting articles. One of them, I'm going to say, you want the good news or the bad news? I'm going to ask you that. One is a good news article about a White Sox player. One is a bad news article about a White Sox player. Well, let's uh, let's start with the good news, because maybe we can talk enough about that that we forget the bad news exists for once. I love how you want to end the show on a downer. All right, here we go. Uh, there's, there's been a lot of questions. <laughs> Keep them coming back for right, more. Right, that'll bring them back. Uh, there's been a lot of questions about Andrew Vaughn and the idea that Jose Abreu has left the team and this is a big loss. And did you even replace Jose Abreu in your lineup? And likely the answer is no, unless you get those career years and guys don't get injured and lightning is uh, trapped in bottles and all of that good stuff. But there was a, a list put out on CBS Sports by Scott White, who's been on this show before, their lead fantasy analyst. And I always like looking at fantasy baseball to, to figure out what pitchers are doing and what they're trending to do in the next year, because they have to, they have to really analyze that. They really have to look at ballpark and schedule and all of that to try to figure out how many points a pitcher is going to be worth while they're doing their rankings. But when it comes to offense in fantasy baseball, you really get a good feel when they put out this is how many fantasy points a game they're going to get. I mean, this is they're going to hit home runs. This guy's getting on base. This guy's stealing bases. This guy's producing for his team. All of that scores points in fantasy baseball. So the article was how to draft first baseman. And there's a tier at the top, which are the studs. Jose Abreu yeah, is a, the, the, the must-haves. Yes, he's the bottom guy in the studs. He, he's essentially placed on there because he's Jose Abreu. The next list, very close to the top, has Andrew Vaughn, who's now the heir apparent to Jose Abreu. What I found interesting was that his production in fantasy wasn't that far behind Abreu. I know that people are going to sit there and say, okay, well, now I don't really care about the fantasy thing, but it showed that he was offensively productive. And in comparison to first baseman around the league, he he's a valuable piece. They're basically saying, like, you got you got a you got a 12-team league. Somebody's probably drafting Andrew Vaughn to be their first baseman. But the other thing that I found really interesting that is in, when you look at the average draft positions, baseball, fantasy baseball fans are only picking two guys in between Abreu down the Vaughn. They're that close in terms of how the baseball world views them. And, you know, I know White Sox fans get down on Vaughn. So this is what stuck out to me. You know, people are basically that's like the trending thing. Like he's not Jose Abreu. You want him to be Jose Abreu, but I don't think he'll ever be Jose Abreu. He's just Andrew Vaughn. And a lot of that is, you know, makes an awful lot of sense to say. But it's funny when you look at what baseball fans who study offensive statistics and are trying to win leagues, they have him only a couple spots below Abreu. He's very comparable in terms of how he is projecting this year. So that stood out to me on this list. Yeah, well, some things to remember, too, okay? Jose Abreu last year, now, his his offensive production has largely been tied to his ability to hit home runs and also his uncanny knack for knocking runs in, right? And he just did not have the RBIs last year, partially because nobody else on the team cared to get on base for him. So there was that. But also, he only hit 15 home runs. Like, he was not hitting the ball out of the ballpark. Abreu wasn't. And his batting average was higher than Vaughn's, but Vaughn uh, had, you know, comparable home runs, comparable RBIs. He had two frankly. more. He had actually two more home runs. Yeah, he, he had two more than, than Abreu. So 
the Jose Abreu you are getting now, the one that's going to Houston, and what Andrew Vaughn was last year are not far off. But also, Jose Abreu could go to Houston, be in a better lineup, and maybe he hits 15 home runs and gets back to hitting over 100 RBIs like he's always done. But Vaughn is also on his way up. I, I think everybody still forgets you know, what we were talking about when Andrew Vaughn was announced as being the DH going into last season, right? And and he was going to have an everyday role and what he was doing coming off of the 2020 season, the shortened season, where this is a man who is really only in, in his first five years of professional baseball. I'm not talking about major league. I'm talking about professional at, at any level because he really didn't have a minor league career. So Vaughn still, I think, has an arrow pointing up too that We're down on him because he didn't show up and turn into an immediate stud. But also, I think this is a man that is just starting to develop. And I thought that was kind of Scott White's point in putting him in the next tier was, hey, Andrew Vaughn is a viable player and a viable first baseman and might surprise you a little bit, right? Versus putting Abreu at the top where you're saying, look, based on the back of the baseball card, Jose Abreu is Jose Abreu. And I'm not going to discount that until the bottom falls off. You know, we know he's on the back nine of his career, but he might be on the 18th hole too. And that was, you know, that was a commentary in another fantasy baseball article about him as well, where we just don't know. Let me ask you this question. When you look at all the players on the White Sox that the team is relying on to stay healthy, get better, have career years, bounce back seasons, all of these things that need to happen for this team to perform well in in this upcoming season, Aren't you a little bit more confident with Andrew Vaughn than most that he can continue to take another step because of how young he is and the fact that we saw him take a step from year one to year two and there's absolutely no reason not to think he's going to continue to develop? Yeah, I, I still have confidence in Andrew Vaughn. I I even even if he was being announced as, as playing the outfield this year, I would have had confidence that he could improve somewhat in the outfield, not to the point where he's a gold glover, but I I have the faith that Andrew Vaughn at this stage in his career can find another gear, take another step. So if you were to tell me that Andrew Vaughn was going to repeat last year and that's this is where he tops out, I'd sit there and go, okay, yeah, that's plausible. If you were to tell me Andrew Vaughn is going to hit 300, hit uh, 25 homers this year instead of 17, it's going to drive in a whole bunch of runs, and is going to be an on-base machine, I'd say, yeah, that's plausible too. If you're going to tell me you think Andrew Vaughn's going to regress and go backwards, I don't think I'd so. have a harder time believing. Yeah, I, I, I really would have a harder time believing that Andrew Vaughn has peaked at this point and is going backwards. Right. He's not hitting 223 and having 25 errors at first base. No. I no. hope not. That's Gavin Sheets. <laughs> advertiser on Socks in the Basement signed a year-long contract. I'm very excited to announce our affiliation with Window and Door Superstore of Oak Forest. I used to sell windows. All the things I always tell people what I used to do. I spent like six months at a window store when I was just looking for a job. I kind of forgot about that. Yeah, I remember that, that, but I, I, I completely forgot about it. It was a long time ago. Like I was just like, I, I, it was like a six month job, maybe even less in between like actual longer times at, at places. It was like, it's just a way to make money. And they, you know, I had, I had like the sample windows in the back of the car and I'd show up and knock on people's doors when they had an appointment, drag all my stuff in. And then I was basically told like, 
just keep pushing them. You're already in their living room. Like, like make them buy a window. And, and the reason I like window and door superstore of Oak Forest so much is because they don't do that. They don't go out to your house. You go to the superstore. You walk in and they've got walls all over the place with the windows already installed. You get to see all the finishes around the windows. You get to see all the doors. You're not looking through a magazine at the etchings. They have all the examples right there. They've been around for 40 years in Oak Forest since 1985. They customize everything the way that you want them to do it. Exterior windows, door, patio door, storm doors, all major brands get out there and check out their showroom. 6280 159th Street on the north side of the street in Oak Forest. If you have questions, need directions, give them a call. 708-535-3900. Joining me on the phone line right now, uh, we're going to bring in one of the ultimate fans, a fan that will get mentioned during the broadcast, his group, the 108 down in a sliver of the ballpark in, in the right field corner behind a giant foul pole. They're one of the only sections that hasn't been tiered off in the two or three different price ranges. Uh, that shows how bad those seats are. Beef Loaf's on the line with us. How are you, Beef? <laughs> Chris, I'm tremendous. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Are, are you surprised the first, like, seven seats in that section aren't uh, an extra $3 this year? Not really, because the reason we honed in on those is they're kind of like the crappiest seats there. Then we just uh, d- demarcated the the party section. So not that surprised. No, it's, you know, the lower corners, as they used to call it. <laughs> All right. So, look, uh, there's a lot of things that White Sox fans are picking on uh, the White Sox for this offseason. Uh, some of them are very valid. Is this the most negative you've seen the White Sox fan base? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, it's, I don't even think it's close. It's funny that the offseason started with a bang. Uh, they went out and they got Pedro Grafal. They stripped down the coaching staff. Maybe didn't strip it down as bare as we would have liked. There could have been a guy or two that uh, maybe could have gone, but they they did. Boston's a lifer. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> First base coach emeritus. They went out there and they and they repatched the whole thing and brought in a bunch of new people and people from different organizations. And they put a, a little extra time and effort into building a hitting program. They grabbed a bunch of guys to kind of beef up that and. Uh, it, it was, you know, it was like right out of the gate, there was good feelings, excitement, and then it just puttered out. And even when the Benintendi signing, it didn't solve as many problems as you'd like it to. I would love for the signing to be a power hitter. The White Sox were uh, without power last year. They really struggled hitting home runs. But he's a totally fine, decent, good signing. He's going to improve the team. And then, you know, they went out, the Clevenger thing, I mean, that's hanging in the balance. We don't know what that's going to end up being. We we know that he's maybe not such a great guy. And even if he does come back, a lot of fans don't even want him back there. But they just stopped there. And right now they're just like plucking around the edges, like adding, uh, you know, guys at the bottom of the 40, man. And I see them getting lauded for that. And it's like, this is what a normal team should do. We still have impact spots on the roster that you could have added to should you wanted to you could have added to the starting pitching with his which is extremely thin so yeah the the fans are 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 totally down all around it and like the I don't think the tier ticket pricing is that big of a deal but when you add it on top of all these other elements that's where fans are just like oh they're nickel and diming us the trina sport no fan fest and so yeah the the tenor is way down uh, the, uh, the enthusiasm is way down in general where you can see the fans out on socials. And, and you have you have such a social media reach. I mean, you guys basically are the kings of White Sox Twitter. Uh, you, you got you got followers everywhere. What's one of the crazier things that you've heard this offseason from the fan base? I, I mean, like there's the tear totter of of uh, s- uh, small pockets who are, are like rooting for this thing to go downhill. They're like 
they hate the White Sox so much at this point. The Sox have done so much to them. Like Dan Zimborski's projection came out for fan graphs saying that the Zips projection saying that 74 wins. People rooting this on and saying, I hope that they, they finish lower. And then I have other people in my mentions who defend absolutely everything Rick Hahn does. And we have 10 years of Rick Hahn to realize he's not a very good GM. Like a defending every single one of his moves is is way off base. Like maybe you like a move or two, but it's like believing and buying in every piece of propaganda that the White Sox are building up for you to, to, to have you eat up and just telling you, yeah, everything's going to be great this year. Like uh, you see the – like the vast expanses of all that stuff. I think uh, materially, like from a player standpoint, just buying into the fact that the the new hitting program is just going to fix everything. Now they're, that, that they threw out Frank Manichino and the new hitting program is just going to solve everything. And when you look at the swing change uh, doctors out there, like, so, you know, and, and Tosar is one of them who they, who they brought in there. They have limited uh, reach. They can have successes with players, but it's not like they're going to, uh, galvanize the entire roster. That's not generally how it works. You kind of need either a bigger program or a better idea of identifying the type of talent that would be receptive to this. The White Sox didn't go out and get new guys. They have the same guys. Some of them, it'll work. Majority probably won't work. And Manichino was a guy that, that was kind of touted as, well, he he changes some swings because he changed Giancarlo yeah. Stanton. Stanton used to come up with a big, wide-open stance and put his front foot pointing basically down the third base line. And he was like, oh, well, what if we pointed it towards the first baseline because you swing so widely and he has like a massive year, gets a deal. He's in New York and everybody's like, oh, this Menachino's a genius. He just moves <laughs> a guy's foot. And look how good he gets. And so, like, you're right, because right now we haven't seen the results. We think positive about the, the hitting program, but that was the same thing we felt about the last guy they had in there. Absolutely. Yeah. They, there's, and, and also the White Sox seem to be relying on the, the Katzel fix-em model, which was the uh, previously the Koopal fix-em model on the pitching side. Like for a while there, all the pitchers they brought in had previous relationships with Ethan Katz, which is kind of a weird connection. Like I, I would like my pitching coach to be enthusiastic about the talent you're bringing in and think that they can have an effect on it. But it was kind of weird that there was all the connections there. So some of this stuff is just is, as White Sox has ever been, even with a new personnel. You guys are, are a big presidents in the ballpark. I know that you, the, the group, the main group, there's three of you, um, but right. then it, it branches out into other members that are there all the time in Section 108, and it's a fun place to go hang out. I know that Ed actually bought a ticket for the, the for one of the playoff games that uh, he he was going to go to, and then he got COVID, but he was going to sit in the section with you. Oh, the Lurie yeah. Garcia gets a $16 million contract game. That way. <laughs> So, That's right. Legends live forever, Chris. But but as but as I look around the ballpark, there are things that drive me nuts about the fan experience. I know there's things that drive you guys nuts about the fan experience. You know, I can immediately point to why did we get so cheap with the big giant banners and just paint them on the wall underneath the kids zone? And I I wonder what you would like to see change in the 2023 season inside the ballpark. Oh, I mean, I, I was going to say leading into the ballpark. How about just getting people in? Uh, on time so that they can get to their seats and not having these log jams. And I'm not even talking about giveaway games. Like there, there's problems getting into the ballpark. Uh, anyway, you know, uh, one thing that they really need to fix, if you're going to have an app that claims it's going to be able to deliver food and drinks, <laughs> have it actually be able to deliver them outside of like the first two innings. We tried this thing uh, two dozen times, Chris, just to sample like, okay, well, you know, we're close to stands. We don't need to use it, but like, let's use it. Let's try it. If you used it in the first three innings, your success rate was like maybe 75 or 80%. If you used it from the fourth inning on, 
you were uh, getting a refund. You were you were getting nothing. Nothing was going to come, and but you would, it would take your order. So you'd sit there for innings, waiting for your beer, hot dogs, or whatever, and it wouldn't show up. So like these are easily fixable things. It's like improve the internet. I remember when the the beer vendors first got the sort of the cashless system. Those things wouldn't work. They would they would go down. The devices wouldn't work. The Wi Fi wasn't strong enough. Whatever it was. So like there's all these little like point of contact things that they could just move these along faster and improve your experience. Like. I was uh, on Twitter today saying I'm a little bit happy that the fan base is so down because the ballpark will be half empty to start the year and I'll be able to get back to my seat quicker and actually watch the game after I go get a beer. That's not what you should be rooting for. They should be able to move the customers through and get them their beer and get them back to their seat in time to watch the game. Beef Loaf from the 108 is brought to you proudly by the Village of Lamont. Every guest here on Socks in the Basement is want to experience a downtown with real history, great eats and drinks and green spaces filled with adventure Visit the village of Lamont. Shop, dine, drink, explore. Valentine's Day is on the way. Lamont is for lovers. See everything they have going on this weekend and into the Valentine's Day week at lamontdowntown.com. The thing that sticks out to me about the the ordering service is that I used it once this year. And then I was like, okay, I'm not doing this again. Because it showed up and the food was half spilled in the bag. I was missing something in it. And I thought to myself, all right, so I order through an app and somebody just walks out with a bag and hands it to me and then walks away. That person could care less about whether or not I'm happy. Somebody just handed them a bag. And I think that's the thing. When you get so efficient or you try to be so efficient with like these new systems, the moment you take the human element out of it, the customer care goes away and that's yep. what's disappeared. And you could, you could blame some of it a few years ago on, well, we're going through a pandemic and we're trying to ramp back up and all this other stuff. But what you lost between 2019 and now can no longer be blamed on that. I think because you changed all your systems and you haven't figured out how to bounce back and connect with your fan base anymore. Yeah. You're hundred percent correct there, Chris. The other thing that's shocking, you're right. It does take the human element out even in spots where it shouldn't. So, like when you type that in, you type in your exact seat that you're in, right? So that's how they know to locate you. So many times during the season, someone would order that in our section and the delivery person would come down and just look around like, hey, who ordered such and such? It's like, don't you have a record of who ordered what seat? <laughs> like, we can just intercept anyone's stuff here. Like, I just punched on? all this in. Why are you wasting my time punching all these things in if you're not going to read the ticket? That's a Seinfeld episode, or at least I would rather it be a Larry David episode because he'd be swearing. Yeah. That's the only thing. All right, so I, I want to wrap it up with you. I, I'd love to sit here and talk with you forever, but um, I, I want to get your feeling on the team as a whole, uh, wins and losses, what you expect from this team. I'm I'm actually extremely bullish, like more bullish than the marketplace, I would guess. Like the I've seen the betting lines uh sitting at 83 and a half, 84 and a half. I've obviously I've seen uh, uh some of the projection models coming out even lower than that in win totals. I'm optimistic because I think that you can't have as many things go wrong at once as you had last year. And I also think that you know some of the up-and-coming talent is is being undervalued by the marketplace. Like you didn't see Oscar Colas on a lot of top 100 lists. However, the whispers that come out beyond that is like, yeah, he's probably an everyday right fielder right now. Good. We need that. That's a huge upgrade. Like people, people don't realize some of the minor things are huge upgrades. Like this year, the outfield defense, if it's Benintendi, Robert Colas, is going to be night and day better than it was last year. And that has uh, effects not just in your defensive stats, but it's going to allow the pitchers to go longer. They're not going to have to pitch over as many mistakes on the defense. I just think that there's more upside potential here than we're valuing. And the the kind of murky, goofy 
we'll call it bad offseason is like dragging down some of that thought in in us right now. So I'm hopeful. I mean, looking into spring training, I never pay attention to spring training, but I'm looking forward to seeing if Yasmani Grandal has his legs under him. Best shape of his life. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm hoping for uh, actual best shape of his life, like him driving the baseball. I'm looking forward to if Lucas Giolito is hitting 94 or 95 instead of 91. Like, there's minor things that I'm not normally a guy to watch the spring training, but there's minor things that we could watch and say, oh, okay, maybe we got something going here. So, in general, yes, the downside is if the team stinks, then the ballpark will be half empty. I'll still enjoy myself because I love going to watch baseball no matter what. The aesthetic is, is there for me. I'm, I'm a man in my mid-40s. Sometimes I just want to go out there, watch a game, and I'll take that one game by itself and not worry about the context of the rest of the team. All right, check out Beef Loaf and the rest of the 108 uh, at from the 108 on Twitter. That's really their most active social media account. I know you're on all the other socials. Are you even? Are you doing the TikTok right now? We are doing uh, uh, YouTube Shorts, so oh. the equivalent because we have a kind of a YouTube following. So we're doing what would be TikTok, but right. But you're not. You're like you're like yeah, but we're too old for TikTok. I feel the same. Way. <laughs> we have an account, <laughs> but we don't do much. <laughs> all right, people, talk soon. Take care, Chris. Socks in the Basement listeners, do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the South Side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boot specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota. And one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. Here I am. I I talked to somebody about the fan pulse, and I was hoping that I would get, like, all kinds of positivity and finish on a positive note to roll into the next show and get people through the weekend. And you tell me, give me the good news first, which is I think Andrew Vaughn is going to perform better than what people think. And fantasy baseball fans and analysts and those that look at numbers think the same way. And now I've got to finish on bad news. Okay, well, but but how bad is the bad news at this point? It's Dylan Cease being a bust. You're talking about Frank Stamfel's article? Yeah, yeah. Did you read it? I read it. I read it. And uh, go ahead. Go ahead and explain what Frank is thinking. Okay, so Frank's doing this from a fantasy baseball perspective, but it does. uh, Here's the thing. I read it. I looked at it. I said, yeah, maybe he's maybe he isn't as valuable in fantasy, but he might actually be getting better as a White Sox pitcher. So maybe I can find a positive when I'm done. But let me read what he had to say about Dylan Cease, one of the pitchers that he thinks in fantasy baseball will go backwards, will bust out, will be drafted higher than he really should be drafted. Here it goes. When it comes to pitchers, betting on strikeouts usually pays off. Dylan Cease struck out 227 batters last season, fifth most in baseball. I'm very confident that as long as Cease is healthy, he should continue to get a good amount of strikeouts. The walks aren't going away either, though. He posted 3.8 walks per nine innings last season, which ranked first among qualified starting pitchers. I didn't realize that, that he was he yeah, I, I That I did not realize. That blew me away, especially because he had a 1.11 walks and hits per innings pitched. Which tells you no one was making contact off of him, really. 
first half, and this is really interesting, 34.4% strikeout rate, 12.9 Ks through nine, 16.4% swinging strike rate. That's amazing, right? The problem is, Frank's pointing out in the second half, he decreases. He drops uh, 10 percentage points in his strikeout rate to 24.8%. His strikeouts per nine drops by four to 8.7. His swinging strike rate also drops from 16.4% to 13%. And so what he's saying is he's not striking out as many guys. And in fantasy, he needs to be an elite strikeout guy. I looked at this and I said, okay, fine. But I don't think that means he's a bad pitcher. In fact, that makes me think that he's becoming a smarter pitcher because he doesn't need the strikeouts to be effective. See, I'm twisting it into something good here at the end. I'm not letting you ruin the end of the show, Ed. A couple of factors. One is, yeah, I I think Cease towards the second half of the year may have started pitching to contact more, probably to try and cut down on the walks. I don't know that he was successful based on what the numbers suggest there. But it's it's still it's something that you you know you look at and and you know I note that he does not have in the article what his walk rate rate was in the second half. So when you look at his numbers in the second half of last year, his walks in the first half of the year he's got forty eight walks, including two intentional walks. In the second half of the year. 13 starts, fewer starts, but he's got 30 walks, okay? His whip actually goes down in the second half of the year, even though he's got the lower strikeout rate. His whip goes from 1.185 in the first half to 1.008 in the second half. So I think over those last 79 innings that he pitched, he's really what he's doing is he's he's changing up his style a little bit, going a little less for the whiff, maybe going a little bit more for contact, and trying to save himself. Cause I think one of the things he was trying to do honestly was get himself deeper into games in the second half of the year. What was the number one thing that we talked about last year that concerned us about the entire staff? They only went five innings. Yeah. They were, they were, they're all topped out at over a hundred pitches by the time they get to the, to the fifth inning, they keep, they, yeah. they're relying on the bullpen too much. And, and that was what the blueprint was, right? Well, we only need pitchers that go five innings and then everything will work out perfectly in the bullpen. Well, that, it didn't. And so that was an issue and you wanted guys that could go a little bit longer in games. That's the next step in the evolution of Dylan Cease, if he is to become a true superstar. And that's what you want, is that he, right. he's able, like, look at Mark Burley. Like, nobody's ever going to pitch like Mark Burley, right? But, I mean, like, that's no. the guy at the no, goal. That, 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 guy is, that guy is a unicorn and a and something that we're just never going to see again. Right, but that's the guy that, like, White Sox fans, well, you know, you can compare very quickly to, like, any pitcher to how he used to pitch. He, he pitched quickly, efficiently, had no problem with somebody putting their bat on the ball and pitched deep in the games with all kinds of complete games and, you know, eight inning games and, you know, shutouts and stuff because he wasn't afraid to let the guy put the bat on the ball. He, he didn't need to have a ton of strikeouts in the game. Imagine if Dylan Cease can figure out the right balance between now it's time to blow this guy away and now it's time to just pitch the contact because I want to get to the next guy a little bit fresher. Like this guy's a nothing like those guys at the bottom of the order, if he's got a good defense behind him, he should be inducing ground balls and looking for contact and save that big stuff for when you got a guy like Jose Ramirez at the plate. Yeah, and and now the other thing, too, to keep in mind is last year is his career high in innings at any level. It's 184 innings last year that he pitched. 
compare it to 2021. You want to talk about guys taking the next step and, and guys that can still improve? 165 and two-thirds innings for Dylan Cease in 2021, where he gives up 139 hits. Over 184 innings last year, he only gave up 126 hits. His hits per nine dropped from 7.6 down to 6.2. His homers per nine went from 1.1 down to 0.8. All right, so he's he's improving on what he's giving up from the bat. His walks per nine stayed pretty steady between 21 and 22 at 3.7 versus 3.8, and he lost a little bit of a strikeout per nine, going from 12.3 and 21 to 11.1, but his whip drops from 1.25, basically, to 1.1. And isn't that interesting that he, until that second half, let's go back to the article that, that got this started, until the second half, he was basically averaging the same amount of strikeouts per nine as he was doing the year before. He made the change in the second half of last year, which means he's only just begun to evolve as a pitcher. I think I think at this point, I'm glad you went with the bad news at the end because actually it sounds like great news. I think it's good news. Oh, I really do think it's good news. We should show prep more. I should read the whole article before. <laughs> nah, it's much more fun to surprise you with, hey, Chris, this isn't really bad news. I surprised myself. I do yes, that every should. once in a while. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on socksinthebasement.com.